Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello, Rush Nation, and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast. As usual, I'm your host at the FSA tweets on Twitter, or you can call me Liam. And as normal, I have my co-host, um, the one and only at Dynasty Island on Twitter, Rich. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very good. Um, back after a week off. I think it was the first five-yard Dynasty pod I've, I've not been a part of, so it was quite weird listening in the week, I'll be honest. But uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to spend a week watching all sorts of random sports and, uh, and yeah, enjoying the north of England, so can't complain. The Midlands. It, we are literally in the Midlands, Rich. I'm not gonna, not north, gonna stand north. for that. I go out of my house. I turn, I drive north. Therefore, it's the north. Anyway, um, before we get into a north-south debate, let's bring a fabulous guest on. Um, he is known as the Stack King, um, the Trey Lance Truther, the Mark Andrews Truther. I mean, we could probably make a list. MVS <laughs> Stan. Um, he is at NFL underscore T Strack. That is T Strack with an R in it. Um, Tom, how are you doing, mate? It's been been a whole year since we've had you on. Yeah, yeah it's good, man. Uh, it's uh, great to be back on with you guys. Always enjoy chatting with you, whether we're sat in a bar at the UK FFC or whether we're on stream. It's always a pleasure to be chatting with you too. So you've changed up your setting. Last time you were in some sort of garden. Um, sipping on a on a via, you as Rich said before the show, you seem to have a different setting each time. That's it. I'm, I'm slowly going up in the world, but I'm not quite at the place <laughs> where I've got myself a nice podcast room yet. So one of these days, we'll uh, I'll be back on and I'll just have the full, you know, bookshelf behind me with all the signed memorabilia. But not today. Sat in the kitchen. You say you're not going up in the uh, world, but you're going over to New York with underdog fantasy which is a best ball site um over in the u.s that isn't available in the uk but they've invited you exclusively over i mean if that's not going up in the world tom i don't think anyone has aspirations anymore 
Yeah, well, it's, it's a good lesson in just being nice. Uh, as they said, <laughs> they appreciate the support I've given their site over the last couple of years and wanted to repay the favor by letting me fly out there on their dime and do some drafts with them. So very much looking forward to it, warming up, you know, stretching and getting limber ready for four days of intense drafting. Incredi- so, incredibly well deserved and very uh, very excited to to hear back and uh, hear about what what actually drafting on the underdog underdog platform is like, Tom. <laughs> so for those listeners that don't know Tom, he is the ta- stack king. Um, he releases stack charts every um, month, every time he can get his hands on ADP data. Basically, um, he is the best ball guard. Uh, when I first started doing best ball, Tom had me in his DMs asking questions like, "What's this roster look like?" And I can guarantee you, Tom, I didn't do very well last season. I made a, I made a bit of profit, but didn't do very well. Um, but Tom is here to share his best ball knowledge. Um, so he writes over at Fantasy Pros. Um, apparently you're doing a lot of redraft at the moment, but you're trying to bring di- uh, best ball into it. And that's where Rich had the idea of let's try and bring best ball into Dynasty and see how we can learn. So we had Joe on for redraft strategies, and we're going to bring you in to talk about those best ball strategies in Dynasty. So, Tom, um, I'm going to start off with roster construction. Um, it seems like the most fitting place to start. So I'm just basically going to leave the floor open to you and let you um, take it away with roster construction within your dynasty teams. Is there a specific way that you prefer to build your roster? And is that based on your best ball preferences? Well, I think just, just expanding that slightly for a second, it's like, you know, in dynasty leagues, we're also consumed about the individual player a lot of the time. And it's very much like, I want this player because he's done X, Y, Z in college and he can do X, Y, Z in the NFL. Whereas in best ball, if you're drafting a lot of teams or if you're drafting more than, say, 10 teams, it becomes a lot more about how do I want my overall portfolio or collection of drafts to look? And the moment you start doing that, you can open yourself up to more strategies. If you're somebody who does one draft a year, then go out there and draft the best players as you see it draft however you like and do it make sure that you're having the most fun with it but if you're going to spend hour after hour in front of a draft board then not only are you going to be drawn to more precise strategies but you're also going to probably be a bit more anal about wanting to do everything you can to win and in best ball tournaments in general I think like about 65% of the field typically don't stick to any known micro strategy. They tend to take a balance of approach to say, if you've got 20 roster spots, that means three quarterbacks, seven wide receivers, seven running backs and three tight ends, something similar to that. And it's just not a successful way to win. It doesn't mean it's not going to win, but by honing in on strategies such as zero running back hero running back or like, those kind of then there's lots of subsections of that avoiding the running back dead zone. You can really enhance your team's ability to win. Like Rotovis have done a lot of work on taking two quarterbacks before say round 12 and stuff like that and showing that it's a very successful strategy. And again, you can expand that to what Antonio was talking about a couple of weeks ago about winning the flex position. So 
Best ball, typically, there's a lot more written about roster construction strategy than in Dynasty because, like I was saying, so much of it goes back to player takes in Dynasty. But when I'm drafting a Dynasty team or a Dynasty best ball team or even a redraft team, I want to stick kind of more similar to some of the principles that have been researched so heavily within best ball because dynasty leagues it's always a little bit difficult to find too much research on what can win and what can't win because so many of our leagues are so incredibly different i mean you know i'm in multiple leagues for you guys and it's very rare that any of those are very similar in format like they might have more flex flex positions they might have different scoring settings and so it's very difficult to look at an individual league and go this is the way to win this league by going here or running back. But in these best ball tournaments, I mean, some of these tournaments now have up to a million people in them. So at the end of it, you're left with an awful lot of data where you can see, statistically speaking, teams who've done this tend to do a little bit better. So I try to apply that thinking a lot of the time when, whenever I'm drafting. And more often than not, that involves either going with a hero running back, which involves taking one running back within the first two rounds and then typically avoiding the position for a few rounds or hero running back, uh, sorry, or zero running back, which means basically avoiding the position for the first six or seven rounds. And obviously that changes if you're talking super flex because quarterbacks push ADPs around. But the main thing that I do when I apply that to dynasty is try hard to avoid the kind of players that would normally in a best ball draft be in areas of a draft that I wouldn't want to draft. And the easiest example is the running back dead zone. In a typical redraft or best ball league, that's normally between rounds three to six, three to seven. And even though in a dynasty league, when you're looking at the ADP, a lot of the time there might be a mix because you might have promising young rookies falling into that section. It's the characters that would normally populate the dead zone that I want to avoid. So Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, they're not anyone I'm ever going to draft on a dynasty league, no matter how far they fall, because they fit the kind of archetype of the player that I know from best ball doesn't lead to good win rates. So do you think that, I guess, you know, best ball is a unique beast in that, as you said, you, you can have quite structure in terms of how you draft it. Dynasty, Yes, you can approach your draft in a certain way, but as soon as you're off, you know, you can be in a, a dynasty league for two, three years and your your roster doesn't replicate anything like what it, it started with when you drafted it. Do you think there's any lessons that perhaps we could take from that roster construction in terms of best ball of trying to stack the the correct amount of positions on a yeah. bench and how we would then turn that into kind of a dynasty? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Rich. I think it's like, so let's say if I'm starting a draft in zero running back and I've got 20 roster spots, I won't take my first running back till probably by around round seven. And by the time I get to about round 10, 11, I've probably got six wide receivers, an elite quarterback and an elite tight end. But then it very much becomes, I need to pack out the rest of this. I need to get to about seven running backs or so. And it doesn't really matter, you know, that they're all going to be a little bit iffy, but it's like that quantity over quantity of quality at that point. And so in a dynasty league, that's exactly it. If I've 
started with three running backs at the top end of my draft. There's no way that by the time I get to round 10, 11, I should still be spending more and more draft capital on running backs because I've made my bed. I've already said that these three running backs need to perform and in Dynasty, they need to perform soon. So why am I taking all these ones later on when I need to build a win now roster probably and I need to be taking other players who can complement that? So you're trying to kind of balance... You know, if you if, if you go wide receiver or heavy early, your bench will be loaded with more running backs typically yeah. and, and kind of vice versa. Exactly that. And I know that's something that you kind of like, you tend to stack up a lot of running backs later. And it's, whereas, again, if I've taken elite wide receivers earlier, you definitely kind of find that zone where there's tier drops. And instead, that feels like the place where I want to be stacking up on running back twos, running back threes and, you know, I don't need five or six Sterling Shepherd type players on my bench because man, I hate Sterling Sterling Shepherd. Hey, he's he's got a special well, place in my heart for oh, Sterling Shepherd. I, I love Sterling Shepherd, and when he's fit and healthy and all that, he's great. <laughs> but I'm sure if we looked at like points per game over his career, there'd be an awful lot of games which weren't very useful to fantasy. There'd be an awful lot that were, but it's very easy to fall into that sort of habit of going, oh, okay, I'll pick up that guy who gets the ball often. And before you know it, you've got four or five slot receivers who are going to get four catches for 40 yards every week. And it's it stops you taking a zero, but it doesn't win you anything those weeks. Yeah. Liam, what about, what about you? Are you, when you're building out your bench, shall we say, which I think is kind of where we're perhaps leaning with this, are you just looking to acquire the best player available regardless of position the player you perhaps view as the most valuable or are you viewing it like tom was saying in a specific kind of positional breakdown to try and balance out the 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 rest of your roster i suppose it's a bit of both and you're going to hate this because i am on the fence a little (laughs) bit with this strategy but um I have to have enough players of each position. So I do have those kind of positional requirements in my head. So, for example, I prefer elite tight end or basically no tight end. And if I go down the no tight end route, which is more often than not, I will have a lot more tight ends on my bench because I need the flexibility of basically streaming within Dynasty, which is not something that people typically think of. Um so in my head, if I don't take one of the top five, top six tight ends, then yeah, I will think as we go further into the draft and maybe not reach, but maybe think, okay, I need a tight end here rather than going what I would consider as best player available. Now, that does come full circle around to quarterback, for example, or even the running back or wide receiver position. If you um, are attacking wide receiver early, as Tom said, people tend to like maybe pick up those slot receivers to fill out benches. Whereas um, I like yourself, like both of you actually um, prefer to kind of stock my bench full of running backs. Now the caveat to this is I tend to, I don't really know how to put it. I tend to, lean more to running backs than I do wide receivers when it comes to bench spots because of all the or basically talking with you rich for the past (laughs) 18 months near enough um 
and the amount of data that goes into it that shows a running back is going to have more of a boom when it there comes to an injury than a wide receiver in most cases because there's only typically one maybe two running backs that get that extra workload when it comes to an injury whereas a wide receiver there are three maybe even four positions available on the field depending on what set they uh, what they play on the field so when it comes to my bench botch, yes, I will have the positional limits, I suppose, in my head to an extent, but it doesn't control the way that I draft. If there's a wide receiver that falls and I'm trying to stick to, say, five, six wide receivers in my bench, but there's one falling, I'll just take the wide receiver. It's not like it's set in stone, in my opinion. And I think that's that's something which even in best ball and sometimes gets a little muddied with any of these kind of micro strategies best player available when they, you know, picking up value is always going to be a good thing. Even if, you know, that means you're two or three picks into a draft and you're committed to a zero RB build, but then all of a sudden a round two running back falls to round four. Taking that doesn't mean that you need to stray away from the rest of the mindset. And again, this, you know, it can apply to dynasty that just because, a player falls doesn't mean you need to change your whole strategy. It's just going, right, well, I'm going to take that value because now I've been presented with an opportunity where I can create an even stronger roster than I should have been, but I'm going to still going to adhere to the mindset that I, you know, I don't want to overload at one position and make the rest of my roster weaker because of it. Yeah. And I think for me, I kind of, when we're talking about benches in Dynasty, I kind of split my bench in half. So the way I view my teams, and it's something that I've, I think I've talked about a couple of times, is I sort of have my starting lineup, and then I have basically one backup for each position. So I'll have my in a superflex league, I have my QB three, my RB three, my wide receiver like four or five, my tight end two perhaps, and then maybe one flex. And I view that as kind of my starting roster, if that makes sense. So I've got cover, you know, if I'm if I'm in a league where perhaps my running backs aren't as strong, maybe I'll add an extra running back into what I view as kind of my starting roster. And then the rest of my bench is what I'm basically viewing as those end of bench spots. And that's where I'm basically trying to target players that I think could potentially boom in value and return on the investment I've made in them. And generally speaking, those are what I class as volume-based positions. So that's running backs and quarterbacks that I think that if there is an injury, they then can either be a spot starter for me or I can flip them for an asset because somebody else needs a running back or a quarterback. And, you know, I hear Tom talk quite regularly about those spike weeks. And in best ball, it's all about the wide receivers because, wide receivers have more spike weeks than running backs or quarterbacks or or whatever. But actually in, in dynasty, those, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four types that, you know, KJ Hamler, for example, he could have three or four great weeks for best ball this season. But from a dynasty perspective, you're probably never going to feel comfortable putting him in your lineup unless, you know, something horrific happens to Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and he's the wide receiver one all of a sudden. So that tends to be why I lean away from those wide receivers, because I just think that they they become roster cloggers, essentially, which is what I'm always trying to avoid on, on those kind of end of bench spots. And I think that's, that, you know, that's something which you can apply to best ball to redraft. It's whenever you're selecting a player, it's saying, okay, 
what's happening on my starting lineup if this player is being successful? Am I drafting this player? So like KJ Hamler, if you're drafting KJ Hamler in Dynasty, is it because you're just hoping to get an increased value and you can move him on? Or is it because you truly believe that he can be a starter in a roster? But if that's the case, what does it say for the rest of your team? And are you suddenly going to be saying, okay, well, that means he's outperforming somebody that I've spent X amount of draft capital on in a draft. And now am I going to be presented with lineup problems week to week where I'm going to have to choose or I'm just going to have to move him on before his value dips? So, yeah, I think it's always good to kind of think about not only what that player's path to success is, but also what it means for the starting lineup players that you have as well. Yeah, definitely. So, Tom, we, we've spoken a, a lot about roster there. And one thing that, as I said, you're the stack king, one thing that kind of comes into roster construction would be stacking. And for those that don't know, it tends to be um, you're stacking a quarterback with one of the skill positions, if not multiple. Um, so when there is a, a pass to whoever for a touchdown, you're essentially near enough doubling your points or you're maximizing the points from one play. So is that something that you bring into Dynasty and do you bring it into Dynasty heavily or is it just something that's kind of like a cherry on top of a pick? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've. I feel like we've probably talked about it a little before. I don't feel like in Dynasty or Dynasty Best Ball, it's not as essential. Like the Best Ball competitions that have gotten so big now like the DraftKings one, for example, there's almost 900 people in the final. So you really have to think about, okay, I've got one team against 899 other opponents. How does my team stand out from that? How do I win? And that's where stacking becomes more similar to DFS, where you really need those team stacks and the players on the other side of, of the game sometimes to be able to really amplify your score. But in Dynasty, it just isn't that it isn't that far along. And again, going back to what I was saying, it's kind of hard to quantify it because nobody is really writing up all 10 dynasty leagues that we do every year and going, all right, well, the win rate in this one was because this person had a stack and that. But I, um, in terms of the most content that's been done even about it, Mike Leone of Established Run, who's really brilliant guy and incredibly smart, wrote an article last year called uh, Deep Dive Stacking in Season-Long Fantasy. And in that, he kind of broke down an awful lot more about like just taking player win rates and stuff like that and taking usable weeks and working out what the actual scoring differences would be with, with stacks. And it's really, whenever you select a QB in a draft, you're already making a bet that they can you're hoping at least that they can outperform their ADP and you're hoping that they're going to be successful. Otherwise there's not much point choosing them. And the moment that you're saying, all right, well, I believe this quarterback is going to be good enough to get me X amount of points every week. You're making a slight bet on the pass catchers around them, unless they plan on running the ball 60 times a game, which is very unlikely. Then you are saying, okay, well, I want, I want that quarterback. He's going to do well at times, and I want a piece of that offense because you're not just, you know, it's not just the quarterback. You are betting on the whole team. And you can look back to like 2019, and it's one of the more extreme examples. But the Ravens that year, and I go with Ravens being a Raven fan because I know <laughs> the ADPs were low. 
But Lamar Jackson was drafted as the QB14 that year, and he finished as the QB1. Mark Andrews was drafted as a tight end 15, finished as a tight end 5. Marquise Brown was drafted as the wide receiver 64 and finished as the wide receiver 45. And I know those are end-of-season points, sort of finishes, which makes some people twitchy, but it's like it shows that all those players, the top players in that offense, they all outperformed their ADP because the quarterback had such an incredible season that year. He dragged pass catches along with him. So in Dynasty, for me, it's I, I want to stack on every single roster that I've got. It's, you know, it's something that I firmly believe in. I've seen enough data around small increases to your win rates and stuff like that. So for me, the kind of roster, the kind of stacks that I target, I've got one roster where I've got Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. And I don't see any reason why I'd want to break that up for years unless the Bengals do something stupid. And anytime that you can tie a young quarterback and a young wide receiver or an elite wide receiver to them on a dynasty stack, that's great. But the kind of thing, like I'm not rushing out to pick up Tyler Boyd because the spike weeks that Jamar Chase is capable of, him and Joe Burrow can combine for 50 plus points easily. But the weeks where uh, Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd score well, you're probably talking 35 points combined. And meanwhile, somebody else has Jamar Chase and has picked up 20 points. And it's like, you're not really seeing the main benefits of it. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. If somebody offered me Tyler Boyd at the right price, or if in a draft he was there at his ADP or beyond his ADP, I will take him going as a tiebreaker. That's not a bad little bump to have, but it's about sort of tearing your expectations and saying, okay, in this situation, Jamar Chase has gone, you know, a couple of picks before me. Do I trade back out because I'm upset that I didn't get a stack? Or do you just go, all right, great. Well, I'll just take the next elite wide receiver and move on. It's fine. Yeah, I think that the difference perhaps between Dynasty, best ball, redraft, whatever, I think, you know, as you said, there's so much data out there now saying that, Stacks, tax work in whether it be a, a normal 12 team redraft league, whether it be, you know, these massive charity leagues that we're all in or, or these best ball tournaments. The difference is, is that in those leagues, everybody's starting from pretty much the same spot, aren't they? And, and that everybody's, you know, in a draft, everybody's got a first round pick, a second round pick, a third round pick, as such. In Dynasty, it's different because, you know, if you're an established Dynasty league, every person in the team is starting from a completely different spot because, you know, they're, they're two, three, four, five, six-year-old rosters that, that have gone through that gradual transition. And I think that, for me, stacking in Dynasty, I think, is a useful tool. But I think the key thing is, and it's something that I know Tom has preached from day one, I'm not giving up basically any value in order to chase a stack. And I think that if I can organically fall into a, a stack and, and it's pretty much any stack, I'm happy with that. And I, th I think that it's good for my, my dynasty team because essentially I want good players on good offenses. And, you know, if that comes in with a stack, then great. I'm not going to go out of my way and give up value to chase a negative stack because, you know, if I've got, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, Jahan Dotson and Carson Wentz, ch chances are I, I might have that stack, but chances are if I'm in the Superflex League, 
I hope that I'm not starting Carson Wentz every week. So let, let me ask you this, and oh, both of you. If, if you had a very heavily win-now team, would you say you've got Joe Burrow on there? Would you ever envisage yourself trying to acquire Jamar Chase coming off, say, C.D. Lamrich or someone like that <laughs> to grab the stack and go, right, well, this year I'm going to bet on if they have another year like last year, then that should take me over the top and I could win. Would you be okay giving up the value in that situation? Absolutely. If 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 I think the trade is of good enough value, then I would actually do that. I'm in a ten team Devi league, for example, last year. I'm it's the I was I was I was champ two years ago. I was <laughs> heading heading into the playoffs, thank you. I was heading into the playoffs potentially as favourite. I had I can't remember the exact trade, but it was something involving CD Lamb and I had Josh Allen and I basically traded CD Lamb to get Stephon Diggs. Um, and I already had Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. So it was basically, I was viewing it now as I was a repeat champ. I'm in a win now roster. I'm almost viewing it slightly as a redraft mindset. I want that extra stack. And I can't can't remember what the exact trade was off. I, I was probably giving up a little bit of value to make that trade, to go and get that stack. And and I think I'm all for stacks, but I think that, you know, if I'm two, three years away, first of all, I'd question anyone that's two, three years away because I'm I'm all in. I'm all in on a, you you should never be rebuilding more than 12 months in Dynasty. But I think that chasing stacks for the sake of it, can sometimes come back to bite you. And I think look, if, if you're going to get two good pieces that are joined together on a good offense, fantastic. But I'd, I'd question giving up value unless that situation, as you said, Tom, where you're in a win now situation and, and you're almost in that redraft mindset. Tom, are you going out? So when we talk about losing value in, in terms of trade, I suppose, are you specifically going out two people with players that you could stack with say your starting quarterback and attempting a trade purely for that reason to so say you uh I'm, i don't know a player that you don't like but for, for example you have a player that you don't like that stacks with your quarterback does that help you trade for that player or are you still sticking by your uh, essentially assessment or evaluation prediction however you want to say it and not trading for them outside of value because of what you think is going to happen. I think, I think, it will, you know, it's kind of that fence uh, moment of saying, well, it depends on your roster, but for me, join me. <laughs> like I tend to be very quite fluid with my kind of player ratings and evaluations when it comes to a lot of stuff. So for me, if somebody's offering me a trade specifically to stack Quite often, I feel like because I've got this reputation as somebody who likes to stack, I feel like <laughs> the value is not always there. But it's always about trying to be a little sneaky and being like, right, well, I'd like this player to kind of like bump up that stack. Can I package together two or three players into a deal and just acquire them where it's like a little more subtly? Because if I'm, you know, if I make it obvious that I want that player to complete a stack, you know, people will have your pants down. I think that's a good rule. Good rule in all of Dynasty, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. I think whenever you're you're working on any sort of trade, I think if you're going in and making it very obvious exactly what you want, 
chances are you're probably having to overpay to acquire that asset because the person, as soon as the person realizes, right, he's only interested in this for this reason, I'm 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 gonna, you know, up the price 10, 20%. Whereas if, you know, I talk about it quite a bit in our Patreon time where I'm talking about you you go in perhaps talking about a player that you're not that interested in and then trying to pivot the conversation. Oh, okay, well what about this guy? So that the person doesn't realise who your 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 necessary initial target is is I think it's it's a good mindset to try and get that uh, that good value rather than just going and saying right I've got Joe Burrow I want Jamar Chase to complete my stack what's the price and then and, you end up paying yeah. through the odds at the moment you I mean you know this is just a wider dynasty thing the moment you ever say what's the price you're never going to be happy with the answer well rarely going to be happy with the answer because. If someone says, what's the price to me for Jamar Chase? I'll tell you five firsts. <laughs> <laughs> what, what how, big, how big is your checkbook? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got a perfect example of that. That actually happened last night into today. I mean, it's slightly different in terms of I was interested in both guys that I was inquiring about, but I in a dynasty league, I, uh, just standard 12 team Superflex Titan Premium. I went in for Barkley and um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because uh, I needed a second running back, and I feel like I'm a contender. I've got so many wide receivers that I can't start them all, and it's not even to the point, Rich, where you have backups. I've got backups to the backups. That that point. So, Humble brag. <laughs> I mean, in, I, I'm still a little bit away in that league, but... Um, I went in for Clyde Edwards there and Barkley and I kept talking about Barkley and it's obvious that he doesn't want to move from Barkley now. Um, but then with all these offers that I was sending him trying to get Barkley and CEH, he just sent me one and um, said, I'm not going to move Barkley, but here's one for CEH. And it was just for Claypool straight up. And um, I mean, I'm not going to... F- flame him or anything but I looked as soon as I saw that I took it because I'm not high on Claypool I've been trying to get rid of him in that league for a while and if you've listened to the podcast you know that I'm high on Clyde but that just goes back to don't go straight in for the player that you want because even though I did want both of them I ended up coming out with a one that maybe I wasn't necessarily as needy for but because I talked so much about Barkley and literally the whole conversation was about Barkley, I ended up coming out with CEH for a very fair price, in my opinion. I think what you're saying there, Liam, as well, kind of it it rings a bell for kind of best ball and redraft draft, and it's going, okay, well, my roster needs another running back, but then it's not going right. Well, I'm not going to reach 20-point positions to get this because I can wait, and if that player goes, I can take this, and it's not being as glued to it, is it? It's saying, all right, and so many more trade discussions that I have that are successful start with going, hey, I'm looking for running back depth, or I'm looking for a starting running back, and taking it from there, because those conversations just typically tend to develop better than just sending a trade off uh, of, you know, I'd like this player. I mean, this has gone down a little bit of a side, like a little bit of a segment here. But um, the way that I started that whole conversation was I'm interested in Barkley. And instead of going, what's your price? I was like, what are you looking to do with your roster? Because I've got a bunch of wide receivers. You look thin, but if you don't think you're thin at wide receiver, then there's no point in me offering you one. So I went in with a, how can I kind of help you? And then I built a trade based off that. And we're going down a trade segment here, but 
if you go in, as you said, with uh, what's your price, the price is always going to be way too much. And it's kind of trying to show that you're not there to take advantage. You're trying to make your team better, in your opinion, but also make their team better. It's kind of like, a, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And I think that that flows nicely, perhaps, into our, our third segment, which is about not necessarily winning each individual pick within a draft, but trying to kind of win the draft as a whole, Tom. And I think that, you know, that what you were saying basically t- ties that up perfectly, doesn't it? Is that you need to view it not as a draft of 20 individual picks, but a draft of one one complete piece as such and an all-round all piece of uh, of work. Very much so. I mean, you, you guys know me. Um try to acquire an awful lot of Trey Lance in drafts this season. And it can be very easy, no matter how many drafts you do, to feel like when a player gets sniped one pick in front of you or two picks in front of you, you know, it's rage boils up and you're just like, ah. And then, but really it's like, these things are going to happen. And the more drafts you do, the more often it happens. And the more you just have to understand that it's like, Okay, um, this one pick, it matters, but it doesn't really matter as much as making sure that the whole roster at the end of it is strong. And so whenever I'm drafting, it's trying to take that slightly zoomed out view of going, I don't necessarily need my round eight pick to be perfect every time, as long as a lot of picks have led me to, when I zoom out and see it, that I have a clear positional strength in one or two places. And if I compare those rosters to the other league uh, managers in the draft, it's very obvious that I have one of the strongest teams straight away. And you can go about that in lots of different ways, but it's like, you know, Sean Siegel, who wrote the original zero running back thesis, he used to talk about having four of the top 15 wide receivers in order to win these big competitions and anytime that your flex is strong going back to what Antonio was talking about a few weeks ago it always just bumps up the roster a lot so quite often you'll find people who are perhaps less experienced tend to draft to fill out the starting lineup first it's like right okay I've got my two running backs and I'll get a wide receiver on you quarterback and say it's okay to start filling your bench up because quite often by the time that everybody's teams, you know, the drafts are done, it's the teams who've started filling their bench up earlier who really stand out as strong teams. And for me, I want that strength to be in wide receivers, typically, particularly in Dynasty. And I want really strong options at QB one and two. I'm not so worried about three. I can make up for that in bulk. But it's like any time that you quarterback two, you know, if you leave it, you tempt fate and you're just like, well, I'll push it another round, I'll push it another round. And then all of a sudden you've got Carson Wentz and Mac Jones as your QB two and three. And it's like, okay, well, that might work. And then all of a sudden, or, you know, you're in a situation where you're like praying for an injury. So when your backup guys can be a serviceable QB three, yeah, it's fine, but it's like if you've got the two elite options, like say, like I've got one dynasty roster with Lamar and Josh Allen on, and I'm never not going to be happy when I look at that roster, and that came from the draft. So, yeah, it's just taking that slight global view and going, okay, 
this might be a bad pick, but as long as I can just even it out across the course of a draft, then I know that come come game day, I'm probably going to be quite happy. And I think that comes back to, you know, we, we've talked a few times, Liam, I think about value over everything, basically, when you're, when you're drafting. And I think that whilst Tom's talking mm-hmm. about specific best ball strategies and going in with a, you know, a specific target of I'm taking running backs here, I'm taking wide receivers here. I think in dynasty, you can take a bit from that, but I do think that because of the ability to trade and the ability to move pieces around, I think that if you can take a a slightly more value led approach, you can kind of get yourself in a better position and you're not desperately going, right. I I need to get my RB two because I've only got one running back. And actually you can say, Right, the, the best player available here is clearly a wide receiver. I've already got six on my roster. I'm going to take my wide receiver seven rather than my running back two because I think in six months' time, if I need a running back, I can probably trade that wide receiver seven for a, a better running back than is available in the, the draft at that point. I mean, we, we as you said, you've spoken about it, or we've spoken about it a lot on the pod as value over everything. And that means so many different things to so many different people. I mean, value to one person on a player is different to another, and that's what makes all of fantasy football so enjoyable because everyone has different values on players. And that's why Tom was so happy last year with Mark Andrews um, absolutely bombing out when people weren't talking about him as highly as Tom was. But that key difference is where you can take advantage in drafts and even though we tell you not or that this whole bit was don't you don't have to win every pick but that's how you can feel like you win every pick by drafting people at the value that you're comfortable with but yeah going back to what tom was saying you don't even have to win every pick because if your roster in overall turns out that you have you hit on a bunch of guys that are later drafted, then you're onto a winner, aren't you? I mean, Rotovis have done work on this, looking at like about you know how ADP it might not be perfect, and it you know quite often there are definite things to be had, but on a whole, it's quite well adjusted to the market, and by or not you know. So, some teams, you know, you'll see them, they'll auto-draft and come out quite all right. I mean, my home league, the first year it was running, was won by a guy who auto-drafted and, you know, he just ended up with all the team, the players that slipped past ADP or right about. And obviously I'm not advocating that people go out and auto-draft, but by picking up those people who slip past ADP, picking up the bargains, as well as like being conscious of your roster construction, I don't think you're ever going to end up in a bad way when you look at your roster. I think look, ADP is groupthink, isn't it? And you know, if there's enough people that are, are doing it, and enough people that are, you know, the, the, the degenerate people are the people that are drafting 30, 40, 50 times. They're the ones that are contributing far more to ADP than Joe Bloggs down the street who rocks up with a 120 or two on top 200 list and drafts once he's not contributing to ADP anywhere near as much as the people that are doing it consistently. So I think that group think, you know, there's, there's a lot of power in there. And I think that I agree with what you're saying, Tom, you know, sometimes we're too quick to to throw away ADP and go, actually this, this guy's being massively underdrafted or overdrafted or whatever. And actually 
it tends to come back to, you know, yes, there are some issues with ADP and depending on the site you, you use, there's there's always um, loopholes you can take and, and potential advantages to pick up through the draft. But generally speaking, groupthink is is pretty pretty solid, you know, 90% of the time. So, Tom, that kind of brings us to the end of this. But instead of ending it there, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit and talk about some deep rookies or deep sleepers in general that you kind of like. I mean, um, you can take this however you want. You can take it from a best ball point of view. Um, of like a, a boom bust or however you want to take this but have you got your eye on any guys whether they're rookies um, like standouts in camp or um, and this isn't just an open mic so you can talk about MVS in like round 20 <laughs> round 20 those days were good <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, round 10 in best ball of a minute um, really round 10 Oh, I. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, I mean, I'll give you a couple of players that I'm ending up with a lot. And I was kind of on the Josh Palmer hype train quite early on, or Joshua Palmer, depending on which platform you're on. But he was somebody that last year, when he came into the league, I always want pieces of good offenses. You know, it's like, and getting, he had a very clear path to becoming the wide receiver three in in Los Angeles for the Chargers. And it seems very likely that this year he's going to be really heavily involved as the wide receiver three. So Josh Palmer's somebody I've really been very pleased that he seems to be getting a lot of hype behind him now. And then the other one's Isaiah McKenzie. He seemed like the way the Bills used him at the back end of last year, when teams go out of their way to script plays for people, and when they bring you back in on a new contract, regardless of bringing in Jamison Crowder, who I know you guys are higher on, and then to see all the Isaiah McKenzie hype, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. And even you know, it's again, it's one of those situations where I look at players like Josh Palmer and Isaiah McKenzie as if I miss on them, it's a tiny miss, but the upside of those players is really big. But like you can look at some of the other rookies, like. Wondale Robinson, somebody who I quite like as a player. I think, you know, he's quite interesting, but I just don't believe that he's going to have any kind of road to big, big weeks ever. So he's somebody I've kind of stayed away from a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'll... definitely those are the two kind of like sleeper picks that I've got for this year. Uh, in terms of rookies, I think it's probably more the running backs that I've been drawn to. Uh, I'm a known Josh Jacobs hater, so as Amir White, somebody I've ended up drafting an awful lot of. Can I can I can I jump in and offer? Can I jump in and offer one one of mine, Liam, that I'm quite excited by? Um, so it's a guy that I think I was quite a bit higher than consensus in terms of rookie ranks. Um, so Tyquan Thornton, um, I think he. A lot of people slated the Pats for the pick, and I think because of that, basically. He fell far too far in terms of rookie drafts. I was scooping up at sometimes it was ridiculous, like fourth, fifth round picks. Now, you know, there's a lot of negatives coming out of the the offense and and, and Pat's camp at the moment. But the one thing I keep reading and I keep hearing is that Tyquan Thornton's having a fantastic camp. It's something Tom and I talked about um, offline the other the other day. Nelson Aguilar's contract. I wouldn't be shocked if he was cut. 
you know, there's the the Pats can save. I think what do we say, Tom? It's like four or five million by it's moving about on four from Agler. Five million, yeah. I think they'd take a bit of a dead cap, but it just seems like. And I was slow to it with Tyke on Fortin, and I'm. I was drafting a team with Colm Kelly, who uh, does all the podcasts with Rotovis, and he was like, "Look, got to take Tyke on Fortin in the 18th round or so." And I was just like, "Really? I've not, I don't really see it." And sure enough, yeah. Then all the camp reports start coming out, and I think it, it was a lesson in one of those where it's like, okay, well, to me, it felt like the Patriots roster felt a little thick in that position. But then you kind of weigh it up and you go, actually, do the Patriots really want to pay Nelson Aguilar this huge contract when they can get out of it? And it was a lesson that I've learned that, you know, perhaps Nelson Aguilar sticks around and balls out. But it was a good lesson in going, all right, sometimes you've just got to dig a little deeper. And I know, Rich, but that's something you often do. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's, you know, it's one of those where you could look at it and say, well, Aguilar's got 10 million guaranteed on his contract this year. There's no way the Pats are letting him go. But actually, that saving of four or five million to move on from him, if Tyquan Thornton's going to be the guy that can be the deep threat immediately as a rookie, you know, the Pats are the kind of team that would, would very quickly move on from a player that they view as surplus to requirements in order to save that cap hit. I think regardless that... of what they've spent already. Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, uh, the other two players I seem to be drawn to quite a bit at the end of drafts, whether it's Dynasty or Best Ball, is a couple of tight ends. So I don't know how Liam will feel about this, but Trey McBride and Greg Dulcich, like, they both seem to be players that perhaps not straight away, but have a path to being very fantasy viable in very fantasy-friendly offences. Like, give me them all day over likes of... Uh, Jelani Woods in Indianapolis where, you know, even though the roster isn't as deep with fantasy pass catchers, it just doesn't feel like a, an offense that's going to support a lot of fantasy pass catchers, whereas in Denver and in Arizona, you can easily see a lot of players doing well. Yeah, I, I love the Trey McBodge shout because I think he's, he's an elite prospect for me you know I, I was very high on him as a prospect pre-draft and he sort of has fallen out of love in a lot of dynasty circles because he sat behind Zach Ertz and yes you know I'm not quite sure exactly what the Cardinals are doing shall we say in terms of their uh, their approach with signing anything. a the, well yeah if anything but particularly signing the all 2017 offense but um look I, I think that Zach Ertz is an elite player against zone coverage. And I think he's still got that nuance, shall we say, to be able to get open. But against man coverage, if you look at the stats, and I was I was having a little nose through PFF and stuff, he's basically one of the worst tight ends in the league in terms of winning against man coverage, which, you know, like, that feels like quite an important thing for a tight end to be able to, to win against man coverage. So, yeah, I, I think that, Trey McBride, there's definite buy window now. Um, I think I wouldn't be shocked if if he was he was a massive buy this time next year. Yeah, I mean you can see, you know, Greg Dulcich has apparently had a very good camp, whereas Trey McBride's had quite a quiet camp. It's been kind of hampered by the fact that Kyler Murray's had COVID. You know, there's been little bits like that around it, so it's like the Cardinals' camp's been very subdued. But I think there's very much a buy window now. Whereas Greg Dulcich, his route to actually playing is pro- 
you know, Albert O might put up a little more competition than I think that Zach Ertz is going to put up long term. Uh, so yeah, out of the two, I'm really just I've sent out a few offers this morning for Trey McBride, not yet to hear back from him. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm going to jump in there because I've had to sit there quietly and not be able to talk and defend Jelani Woods, but that'll come in a minute, Tom. Um, so on the Zach Ertz thing, yeah, he, his stats may not be great against um, man coverage, but last season he was the tight end five in season long scoring tight end eight in points per game. I mean, from a guy that is 31 turning 32 in season, that's not half bad. Um, I don't foresee Trey McBride getting in front of him while Zach Ertz is still there. Looking at his contract, Zach Ertz has two years basically on the on his current deal. Um, they can save in year two, but it's only about 2.8 mil, so it's not a, a massive saving for someone that if he has another great season this season or even a, a, a pretty good season, they're not going to get rid of him for 2023. Moving into 2024, that's when they save about $8 million. So that could be the window, and everyone loves a, a third-year breakout tight end. So Trey McBride, I think that the window could be midway through this season when he's not getting as many looks as people kind of hope. Um but I still think that he is pretty cheap for what he could be in a few years' time. Um, going over to Greg Dolchich, I don't see it, unfortunately. As soon as he went to the Broncos, I was kind of out. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Albert O, but at the same time, I just don't see it for, for that tight end group in general. Russ has never enjoyed throwing to his tight ends. He had Jimmy Graham. Um, and didn't use him whatsoever. I'm not saying that Jimmy Graham was in his prime. But... At the corpse of Jimmy Graham, and I think Jimmy Graham was still a top 12 uh, tight end. You proved me wrong on that, Rich, but I still don't believe in that tight end room in terms of um, there's so many pass catchers there that I just don't see a top tight end performance. And you, you know what I'm like, I'd rather take the the random obscure guy that I think is going to to jump up. And that's where I come down on Jelani Woods. I mean, that tight end room is arguably more open than the Broncos tight end room. There's questions at, at tight end, um, at quarterback going into the future. But Matt Ryan supported a top, top fantasy asset in terms of Austin Hooper a few years ago. Um, I mean, he just led Kyle Pitts to a great season. I'm not saying Jelani Woods is Kyle Pitts before he jumped down my throat, Rich. But what I'm saying is Jelani Woods is a, a top, a, as in athlete, for a tight end position. And I'm picking up that value completely. Now, he's not had a great camp, so we can't really include him in camp sleepers, but um, but I think that's that's something which we you know we can open up a bit as well. It's like in best ball, like the ADPs fluctuate so massively. So like Isaiah Pacquiao, who was getting completely undrafted last week, is now being drafted in like the 16th, 17th round. And in Dynasty, there's being active at this time of year, there's very quick buy and sell opportunities. And if you're trying to if you're just going on sleeper and putting a player on the trade block, you're not going to get any offers. You're not going to, you know, I don't know what people would be willing to give up for Isaiah Pacquiao now, but like there's a good chance. I was, but... I was quoted two seconds. Today. 
<laughs> exactly. So it's like, you know, being realistic, but it's also that thing of gaining value and it's a great time to be active and it's something I have to push myself to do more of because I'm just very hyper-focused on my best ball teams at the minute. <laughs> One guy that I've been drafting pretty late on in a lot of drafts, and this comes down to um, training camp buzz, is Eno Benjamin. I mean, um, Rich is already shaking his head now. <laughs> I was pretty high on Darrell Williams when he signed with um, the Cardinals and I put out a tweet at the start of training camp. Um, I've been trying to stick to it as much as possible of don't fall for camp hype. Yes, take note, but don't seriously adjust rankings for it. So even though we've said all of this about all of these players, I don't know about you two, but I'm not adjusting my rankings down to camp hype, even if there's like a week's worth of hype around that player Eno Benjamin is just someone that I see constantly over Twitter of he's working as the running back too he is behind James Connor and there's not really much of a competition behind Darrell Williams and yes I could be falling for hype and that's why I'm saying I'm taking him late as a sleeper maybe shying away from Darrell Williams a bit when he's going eight plus rounds ahead of him that's even if you know, Benjamin's getting drafted. I feel like you could take that little segment there, Liam, and repeat it back in 2021 and 2020 and 2019. <laughs> I feel like at this point every year, someone has fallen in love with Eno Benjamin and, and he's never done anything. Um, I, you know, look, I, I, I'm a massive Darrell Williams guy. I would say he, he dropped down 16 spots for me in my redraft rankings. So he went from running back 44 down to running back 60 for me today. Um, so I am listening to the hype a little bit, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not touching, you know, Benjamin at all. I mean, in that range, 16 spots isn't, there's not much splitting 16 spots. No, exactly. It's two points. tiers. It's two tiers. Yeah. Did, uh, should we, should we finish the, uh, the podcast with Tom's dynasty tip? Yeah. I mean, this, this one, which I'm a big believer in, and it's just not, setting your teams on a Sunday by the rankings, uh, the projected vol- uh, <laughs> points scored on Sleeper, MFL, NFL, whatever you're playing on. It doesn't matter whether you're playing Dynasty or Redraft, this matter, but those they are not the way to go. There's so many great resources out there, so many incredible people out there who put Redraft rankings out week after week. Find somebody who you trust. And this this is kind of my mindset with a lot of dynasty and a lot of redraft content. It's about finding the people who you trust and whose opinion you value and use their use their rankings against those predictions to set your team, saying, okay, well, this person's projecting this person to be XYZ. Sleeper says that they could score this many. How do I feel about that and coming to a middle ground? And you'll do far better than if you just go in and go, oh, well, uh, this person's going to score 12 points. I'll uh, move them into my flex and take this really good player out because they're only projected nine points. It's, uh, yeah, it's the way forward. A big I, one I love on that. that. Sorry, Rich. A big one on that is rookies are always criminally underrated. I mean, Rich is high on Chris Alave right now um, going into the season. And I've just looked in one of my PPR leagues and he is projected like seven points. Now, 
Um, I'm not saying that Chris Olave is going to score and be absolutely monstrous every week, but I don't think a first round rookie, the the Saints with that believe or believed in him that much that they traded multiple firsts to go and get him is going to essentially go three for wide 40. receiver three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, three for forty. And, yeah. Can can I can I build off that? Because I think that's a fantastic point, Tom. I'm really pleased you made it. I think that what a lot of people do, and it's I talk, I've talked a couple of times about my process on a Sunday, and what a lot of people do is they're in multiple leagues. It gets to you know half five perhaps on a Sunday, and and they get stressed and overwhelmed in terms of their start sit decisions, and so they just take the most obvious resource that's right in front of their face, and it is those you know sleep or MFL projections, whatever you want. So what I think a really smart thing to do is sit down. Work through your rosters when you have time. So for me, that is a Friday evening. I will, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really sad. <laughs> married, married man with kids sitting down on this Friday evening. But I will work through all of my rosters and I will basically put in my obvious start sits. And if there are players that I perhaps have a question mark over, i.e. that is a decision between two players, it could be that a player is perhaps questionable. We don't know whether he's going to start on Sunday. So I want to get some more information. I will literally take a pen and paper and write it down so that then come Sunday, I've already know what leagues I'm setting. So there, there could be, you know, 10 leagues where I know, right, I've got no questionable players. I've got no decisions. I don't even need to check those rosters. I know they're sorted. In the in this league, I've got a question mark between do I start Cortland Sutton, who is questionable coming off an ankle injury, or Gabriel Davis, who's you know in a windy condition, potentially a windy game up in, in Buffalo. And then I can know that I can just go and make that one decision. And and it saves you so much time and so much stress because rather than having to make eight decisions or 10 decisions for each individual league you're in as to who to start, you're only having to make five or six decisions on, on a Sunday and, or you're only having to find out information about five or six players that are questionable, whether they're playing, whether they're not. And I think it just takes a lot of that stress out of the process on a, on a Sunday where you become overwhelmed and you, as Tom says, you just go right sleep projections. This guy's projecting more. I'm chucking him in my lineup. But by the sounds of it, guys, that is all we have on the show. So that's all we have for you, uh, listeners. So we'll be back next week at 8 p.m. Um, UK time, as usual, on a Tuesday. Go find um, Tom over at NFL underscore T-Strack. His work's over at um, Fancy Pros at the moment. And I can't remember your website off the top of my head. So, Tom, I'll pass it over to you to drop that in here before I yeah. sign off. I mean, you can f- you find me on Twitter, like you said, and then my website's nflbestball.co.uk where I've got a link page which always links to wherever I've wrote content. It's always on there as like a kind of library of my work. Uh, and, yeah, I'll have probably a little bit of news soon about where I'll be writing my DFS column for this season. And yeah, I say thanks for having me on the pod guys. You know, I always enjoy chatting with you guys. Thanks for having, Oh, thanks for coming on. And until next week, guys, we'll see you then. Have a great week and stay safe.
we are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.